If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, we're, we're working our way through parables. We're not being real strict with it. We, we're actually in chapter 18 looking at a broad uh, metaphor. And within that metaphor are two parables. Uh, we won't look at one of those parables today. Uh, in fact, it'll take this morning and this evening for us to get through um, uh, these verses today. So we won't be able to look at the Gospel of Luke tonight. But Matthew chapter 18 We'll start in verse 15, it's page 867 of your pew Bibles, and with that, if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's holy word. The evangelist Matthew writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, as always, we ask you to open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears, our hands, our feet, our mouth, that you would transform our entire being, that we become more like Jesus. At the end of the, end of the day, this entire chapter is about becoming more like Jesus. And if Jesus really has paid it all, may we just be like him. May we love each other as he has loved us. May we be on mission as he has sent us. May I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. May be seated. Well, if you're going to talk about children, and if children are a metaphor for Christians, inevitably, at some point, you've got to talk about discipline. I've done a lot of premarital counseling with young couples, and they, 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 they know one thing, and they don't know a lot of other things. They know they're in love, and they know they want to spend the rest of their lives together, but they haven't talked about is like the more boring adult stuff, right? Budgets, where are you going to live? What are you going to do on holidays? How are you going to balance the two families? And one of the things you have to talk about is kids. Uh, what do you believe about uh, disciplining kids? And, and who should be the predominant discipliner? And who, who has to be the good guy? Who has to be the bad guy, right? All that, that sort of stuff. So too, inevitably, if, if you're going to talk about children you're going to have to talk about discipline. So, too, if you're going to compare Christians to children, a fitting description, I would add, then at some point, you're going to have to talk about the discipline of children. And so if holiness is a priority of Jesus for his children, then correction when we fall short of holiness is equally important. Just to remind you what it is that we have here in chapter 18, we, we've looked at this each week, we've, we've looked at this, this passage, is, is the center of it is that metaphor of children. And in this chapter are two parables. We saw one, I believe it was last week. We'll see another one, Lord willing, uh, uh, barring some weather apocalypse, not that that has happened or would happen. Uh, but you see there that we're looking at the kingdom of God last week, the care of children, right? How you treat one another matters. And then next week, Lord willing, the kingdom of God and the forgiveness of children. And right here in the middle has to do with the discipline of children. Can we start with the first stage? What do we do when we fall short of the glory of God? And what do we do when others fall short of the glory of God? That's the question Jesus is answering here. Can we start with stage one? 
Stage one is self-discipline. Now, I know that is going to get me kicked off of Twitter, hashtag free speech, right? I know saying things like that is going to get you in trouble. Well, we'll all be in jail in 10 years anyway, so what does it matter? Now, the context suggests that self-discipline is the first stage of accountability. When Jesus warns us about personal and corporate holiness, the implication is that we will make it a priority. Think about it. Isn't this how you parent? Parents, do any of y'all have a child who's in their 40s and 50s? Do you call them up every night and say, Honey, have you bathed this week? No. No. At some point, you expect them to know when and how to brush their teeth. When and how to dress themselves. Right. Even though you must discipline and when they do go in obedience, you expect them to be able to function as a human being. If your child comes up to you and says, Mom, Dad, I'm hungry, and they're 25, and you say, Oh, I'm sorry, little dear. Let me hug you. No, you should say, You're a grown adult. Eat something. Right? We do the same thing when it comes to our physical health. This is why we should exercise. Get some rest, eat better, etc. We all know that, right? We don't listen to, to any of that, but we all know that it is true nonetheless. I Many of you all know I, I suffer from migraines. In fact, uh, in the days leading up to the last three snow apocalypse and ice apocalypse, I received three migraines, right? One of my triggers are our weather. There is nothing you can do to, to prevent that, right? However, what you'll find with a lot of migraine sufferers, and all migraine sufferers should do this, is they should look for triggers. So addition to weather for me would be uh, lack of sleep. Uh, That's why I went into the profession of ministry because, you know, uh, there's no stress there. Stress is, is, is another common one, right? The food you eat is, a, is, is another common one. So I, I always guard my, myself whenever the in-laws are over, right? You know, like, like, you know, maybe I should take a siesta or something like that, right? You know, I don't want to get a migraine. Right? Notice what you're doing there. What you're doing is you're saying, look... If I don't want to suffer with this issue, then I've got to have some self-discipline in order to prevent that. Watch my triggers, know what the problem is to, to prevent it. This is true for every condition, right? If you struggle with weight gain, you should cut off all the dessert, right? You should lay off on the sugar, extra. It's self-discipline is part of physical health. Look, no doctor, no matter how good or how well-educated they are, can heal a body that doesn't want to be healthy. No doctor can. So too, a child of God cannot be discipled as a child of God unless he or she desires it. Now, this should be elementary to you, my dear Watson, but, but the, the New Testament is full of exhortations regarding discipline and holiness. Let me give you just a few. In Matthew chapter 3, it says, Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's pretty straightforward. That's, that's Johnny the Southern Baptist saying that, right? Bear fruit keeping with repentance. In other words, be holy. Uh, Romans 12.1, I urge you to present... Uh, uh, your bodies as living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service to worship. Notice the connection there between holiness and worship. So worship is more than singing at the top of your lungs while you're stuck in traffic because state workers are back in the office, right? In post-COVID world. That is part of it. Good for you. But there's more to it than merely singing your favorite K-Love songs. 
but it must incorporate holiness. Likewise, Ephesians 1, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before God. Not so that we can wear a badge and brag to everyone, but in our election comes holiness. Same thing in Colossians chapter 1. Although uh, you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his holy flesh, fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. Let me add just a footnote there to those who were in Sunday school. Remember we talked about similarity in Colossians and Ephesians. Here's another good example of that uh, where they parallel in the first chapter. Back to our normal business. So central is self-discipline that one could argue that if a believer demonstrates no real repentance or evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives by means of holiness is not an actual believer. The reason is because God sanctifies those whom he justifies. That is to say, God makes us holy those whom he redeems. The work of salvation is the work of holification. That's a new word I just just coined. It'll be banned on Twitter within the year. So self-discipline has always been a key to success. Wouldn't you agree with this? Think about athletics. I grew up a jock. uh, uh, Mom and dad brought my old uh, varsity jacket about a month or so ago. I look as terrible in it now as I did when I was in high school, and I care as much about your opinion now as I did back in high school, right? I love that thing, you know? Class of 03, there we are. You know, I didn't have the muscles to feel it, but you couldn't tell, and that's what I wanted, right? That's how I got my wife, basically. She, boy, was she disappointed. Anyways, uh, uh, in, in athletics, you can tell the players who practice at home on their own and those who don't. It's very obvious. If all you do is show up to practice to work on, on, on your athletic skill, you're not going to get very far in sports. You're not. So too, your career success, unless you're driven for success, to not simply do the bare minimum of what your professors may ask, your college or degree may, may demand, or what your boss may demand, unless you're driven, you go beyond it. Let me see if I can prove it to you. Did it ever occur to you that half the doctors in America are in the bottom half of their graduating class? Ever cross your mind? Scare you a little bit, didn't it? I could do the same thing with lawyers, but you already believe me about that. So, but, but, right? So, so, so what you're getting there is, is unless you are driven to succeed, you won't succeed. And that takes self-discipline. Now, again, these are dirty words. Self-discipline? Self-control? Ugh, but they're vital, vital to your spiritual, physical, mental, and emotional health. Self-discipline. So let me ask you, what are you doing right now to grow in the faith? What are you doing right now? Can I suggest just a few things you can do? One thing you can do is practice self-discipline. Practice the self-disciplines, the spiritual disciplines. These include things like prayer, fasting with prayer. There's talk about a dirty word among Baptists. You mean I should go without eating? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Service, study, meditation, corporate and family worship, evangelism, rest, all of these. We've done a whole series uh, called Disciplined Disciples on the Spiritual Disciplines. Are you utilizing them as tools for spiritual health? Do you wrestle with sin? 
When in disobedience, does, are you convicted by the Holy Spirit? Do you respond to disobedience with confession and repentance? Do you take proper precautions to avoid disobeying again? Do you take sin seriously? Thirdly, do you bear the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You can mark off the self-control one. We don't need that one. But you, do you follow all of these? Now, notice here we are speaking not of the fruits of the spirits, but the fruit of the Spirit. Because chances are you, you do what I, I like to do. Well, patience, I'm a dad. I don't need that. Love, I could probably handle that. Joy, I like to laugh. Yeah, I could do that. Self-control, eh, maybe in the 19th century, that was okay. You pick and choose, right? But it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us these things. Go back to verses 8 and, eight and 10 of, of Matthew 18. It's right there. Remember what Jesus said? If your hand or foot caused you to sin, don't put it on a pedestal. <laughs> don't take a selfie with it. You cut it off. You do whatever it takes, whatever is necessary to grow in the faith. It is better that you walk around life hopping on one foot than enter hell with all four appendages. I mean, let's be honest. This is the area that we Americans struggle with. This is why I've been making jokes about self-control. Those who don't have a sense of humor, you'll, you'll catch up with the rest of class eventually. But we do act like these are dirty words. I mean, let's be honest, if if everyone practiced self-restraint, if everyone was self-disciplined, if everyone practiced self-control, would our neighborhoods be so violent right now? Would our homes be so broken right now? When you feed sin, when you feed disobedience, you get the broken chaos that that is our world right now. We can blame the system all we want. But when we treat indulgence and unchecked lust as a virtue, what follows from that is disastrous. So that's the first stage of what do we do with sin and and when it comes to discipline. That is self-discipline. The second stage is friendship. We can use a number of words here, but but I chose friendship for the sake of simplicity. It's Christian friendship. Remember what we said last week, that sin is never private. Just consider things like bitterness and anger. How many of us growing up were worried about the mood mom and dad was in because of bitterness and anger? It was never dealt with. And and so it it, will affect your mood, which will affect your family and those around you. Take something like this contentment. Never happy, never content with what we have. And so we'll blame others or ourselves telling the world that you'd be happy if you had a better spouse. You'd be happy if you had a a better family. Be happy if you had better children. Be happy if you had a better church. Be happy if you had a better career. Be happy if you had a better job. Be be happy if you had a better lot in life. You think that attitude's gonna affect other people? You bet your sweet bippy Billy Graham once said. What about something like hypocrisy? Aren't others watching? So if sin isn't private, holiness, isn't private. Let me ask you, what is private about love? By definition, love implies a direct object. I love my wife. I love my children. I love college basketball in a non-COVID year. I love a lot of things. To love implies direct object. 
So to love isn't something you can privatize. Same thing is with patience. After all, what are you being patient with? Your boss, your spouse, your outlaws, whatever they might be. Patience implies yet another direct object. What about joy? You think people can tell if you're, if, if you're a depressed, melancholy soul or if, if you possess the joy of the gospel? You think people will be able to, to benefit from that and can be able to tell from that? I think so. What about gentleness? How many of you have been blessed by someone who, who lives a life of meekness and gentleness? I'm going to bet there is someone in your life right now that may not say a lot, but when they do, everyone listens. They have that gentle, meek spirit that no one ever questions the motivation behind their words. Holiness isn't private either. This is where mature Christian relationships comes in here in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. What Jesus demands here is for mutual accountability. In humility, we ought to both receive If your brother sins against you, you receive and to offer exhortation and correction. We resist this as we Americans, don't we? We really resist this. We want to have it your way, not have it our way. We really resist this as Americans. Let me see if any of this sounds familiar. How dare you? Ever hear something like that? Well, let's see. You don't know me. You're not my judge. You know this sound familiar? This is Americanism in a nutshell. We want praise from other people whenever we were doing something good. We want silence from everyone whenever we do something wrong. That's the American way. At its root is an unwillingness to take sin as seriously as we should. Pride is hard for us to see in ourselves. Bitterness is easy for us to justify. Lust and greed are easy to be seduced by. This is why we need someone who is spiritually mature, who loves us enough to risk that relationship for our benefits. We need someone who loves us that much. Loved ones, if our highest desire is to be like the Savior, we cannot do it alone. We need one another, and thus let us welcome such correction. To love and to be loved requires humility. This is why marriage and family has a discipling effect. This is why small groups like Sunday school are so important. This is why deep relationships with other believers are vital to our spiritual health. For one, you need to know that you're not alone in this journey. We also need to know that together we will overcome And we will become more like Jesus. If someone who clearly loves and cares for you confronts your sin, how would you respond? Would you respond with resistance or with humility? To respond with humility is certainly a step in the right direction. So let's talk about how to confront someone in their sin. I I don't have a long list. This is really just just to get the conversation started between you and I, okay? Just between us girls. This is a conversation started. Just a few points I thought off the top of my head. So you may write this down. This must be the most profound thing you ever heard. Number one, if you're mimicking reality TV, stop. Is that a good place to start? Look, drama is necessary for the entertainment business. And the political business, because they're the same thing. But drama is necessary, right? I mean, think. See, some of y'all are probably offended about it, like I care. But think about it. Watch a political debate. You have 15 seconds to woo us. 
Oh, well, let's talk about nuclear proliferation in 10 seconds. Okay, here we go. Pre-canned and pre-polled, here's my answer, right? That's entertainment, right? It's pre-scripted. Anyways, that was a footnote. You could be offended, contact one of the deacons. Go on to anyways. But the entertainment industry is, is driven by drama. The church is not to be driven by drama, right? I mean, this is so, so if you want to confront someone in their sin because it'll stir things up or you'll have your way or we want people like me in this here congregation, stop. You do not possess the spiritual characteristics necessary for what it is Jesus has going on here. You yourself probably need to be confronted by someone who's more spiritually mature. And chances are, there's plenty more people who are more spiritually mature if that's who you are. This is the problem with this issue. If you struggle with gossip, divisiveness, anger, move forward with great fear and trembling. Sin is too serious for your issues to dominate. Secondly, don't be so easily offended. Is America reading this, right? If I had like one message to America, stop being offended. Of course, you're, well, I'm going to stop there. Look, many of you all know I enjoy refereeing. I referee soccer because I feel like I'm not criticized enough in ministry. And, and so I, I, I do. But one of the things I have to do before every game, before every game, I have to tell myself, these people do not like me. Right? <laughs> you know, it's like a, by definition, they do not like you. These people are going to say things that will hurt your feelings. These people will say things that are utterly wrong. A lot of these people don't know the rules of the game. Your average Kentuckian confuses soccer rules with basketball rules. You can touch the line in soccer and it's not out of bounds. I don't care what they do on TV in basketball. It's the different game. It's better, but it's a different game. But, but if you walk into the situation and say, I realize that some people will be offended. I realize I will make mistakes and I, and I have to live with myself and not with them. You can move forward. Why is it? Even Christians who, who we, we sing and we believe that Jesus paid it all. We're easily offended by people who at the end of the day will not be the ones standing in judgment over us. Why are we so easily offended? Let us learn to check our hearts. Can we receive correction saying, even if it's done in, in with wrong motive, motives, I can receive it and say there's some real truth there that I need to receive. I can reject the nonsense, but I need to receive the, 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 the true sense. Do I need to check my heart? Am I too easily wounded? Do I constantly figure everyone's staring at me and let me know no one is staring at you? Because the world doesn't revolve around you. Do, do, do I walk in humility? Am I, am I willing to receive such correction? And then thirdly, gentleness and patience. Gentleness, patience. What is it that Solomon wrote in Proverbs 25? I love this. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. And a gentle tongue can break a bone. That's good stuff there. Man, we should put that in the Bible or something. That's so good. That is good stuff. Thirdly, small group setting. If self-discipline aren't enough, friendship still isn't repentance. The third stage is a small group. You see it there in verse 16, don't you? If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, Jesus is clearly picking up on the language in the Old Testament that in order for someone to be found guilty of a crime, there has to be two or three witnesses of the crime itself, 
right? So you can't say, well, he wasn't home at six o'clock, so I guess he did it. No, you have to be a witness of the crime. So too, he's, he's borrowing from, from that Jewish law to, to, to deal with this issue of, of holiness. And here we see a strength in numbers. Um, now, we must assume here that the sin is serious enough that it warrants the concern of a small group. Right? So, so we were dealing here with more public, serious sin. Now, the motivation here is, again, not anger or judgment or, or you hurt my feelings 10 years ago and I haven't gotten over it. The motivation here is love. The goal is to witness the gospel in the life of one of God's chosen saints. Repentance is an everyday thing. And at times, we remain blind to our own disobedience. I hope you've been able to look back on yourself 10, 20 years ago and think, man, I've come a long way in this one area. I didn't see it back then. If you go to my Facebook page, today I posted the very first picture on Facebook I was ever tagged in. It was taken in the boys' dorms. Not boys' dorms. It was the boys' dorms, but it was the boys' dorms of boys' college. You lost yet? That boys' college is me with long hair, no beard, and I'm skinnier than I am now, right? The good old days. It was months away from getting married. It was engaged. And, and uh, 15 years ago, man, I look at those pictures and I think, man, what I would tell my old 21-year-old self. You've got to stop this, right? You can improve in this area. Wouldn't you do the same? Well, here what we see is the goal is to see that repentance is an everyday challenge and we need strength in numbers. Now, on the surface, it's easy to see the logic Jesus has here. For example, have you ever gotten a second opinion on your medical health? Is it because you're a bigot? <laughs> no. You understand? Look, if doctor number one I, I respect says X... And doctor number two, who I respect, says X, it very could well be X. What you will not say is, well, I look in the mirror and everything seems fine. Y'all are wrong, and I'm never coming back and because y'all hurt my feelings. Is that what you say? No, no. If spiritually mature believer X er, says Y, and spiritually mature believer over here says Y, guess what? It's Y. More likely, it's why. But why is it that we then say, well, now my feelings are hurt. I'm going to go to another church that will not be held accountable, who will not hold me accountable because they don't love me as much as this other one. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Could it be that the reason no one else agrees with your decision at the office is because it's obviously wrong? Right? We understand the strength of numbers, right? You think this is a great idea and no one else thinks it's a great idea because it's probably not a good idea. We get this, right? For some reason, when it comes to the church, when it comes to what really matters, holiness, we, we pull back. The mature child of God will receive appropriate confrontation with humility and grace. The immature child of God will resist, thus demonstrating their own spiritual immaturity. Ask yourself, for a group of our spiritual leaders, prayer warriors, people who have walked the walk for many years come up and, and just humbly say, look, look, we, we, we agree. We, we've watched you and we've loved under you and we know you well. It's an area of concern that I think long-term is going to cause a lot of problems for you, for your family, for your marriage. And, and we want to, to walk with you with these issues. If you respond with grace, that is a sign of the Spirit's work in your life. You respond with resistance, it's a sign. There's something deeply wrong within your soul. How many people have left our church and the church they went to, that church, over this issue right here?
It is a sign of spiritual maturity. Choose to tell how you will respond. Will you question the motivations of others who clearly love you or consider them? Dear saints who love you. I want to, in conclusion, we'll look at the role of the church tonight, the more controversial part of this. But I want to talk about some things to avoid with these issues. Because I suspect we, we come to this text and, and our response is not good exegesis. It's, it's, it's rather we, we resist and we, we live in constant fear that people are watching us. Look, the government already is watching you. So you might as well just accept the church should too, right? Google it, right? And they'll, they'll save it. And the location is actually Salt Lake City. Anyways, things to avoid when it comes to dealing with, with receiving and giving correction. First thing, uh, avoid public settings. I don't know why I have to explain this, but I do. I've been around the block long enough. I don't know why this is so complicated. Don't underestimate our constant need to, to be validated. All of us are like this. We want validation from other people. And, and we especially need this in public spaces. You confront someone in front of everyone. You, you've, you've done a lot of damage. Address things privately when such guards are down. There you're more likely to be heard. And frankly, I think there's some, some good reason for that. Because if you confront things in public, it's not the person that you want them to hear you. You're wanting everyone else to hear you. You wanted everyone else to see how holy and righteous you are. I don't know. Pull someone to the side and say, you know, have coffee or dinner whenever we're allowed to do that again. And say, it is an area. I'm just re-. I will say that this church, more than any other church I've probably been part of, I think you all do a good job at this, at least when it comes to dealing with my issues. I have many of them. Ask my wife. Um, and for many of you, say, look, look, I've heard this. And I kind of want to get your, your, your side of the story of it. And it's like, I really appreciate that. that. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. Rather than stand up in business meetings, I've had this like, I want to know on whose authority, right? No, 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 no. One-on-one conversations. Secondly, avoid emotional moments. Emotional moments. Calling out sin and bringing more issues when emotions are high are like pouring gasoline on a fire, thinking it will quench it. There's an old adage that says you should never discipline a child when you yourself are angry. There's some real wisdom in that. Real wisdom in that. Same is true when it comes with dealing with sin. Real wisdom in this. What is it? Solomon Proverbs 15. I didn't put it up. But Proverbs 15. 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 18. 1, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. But he who is slow to anger calms disputes. Fourthly. I don't know why I have to explain this one. Online social media. Look, use your online social media stuff to do a few things, right? Brag about your spouse, show cute pictures of your kids, talk smack about the other uh, fans of the other team, right? That, that, that's it. Can we, can we agree that that's what it's for? That's it. Some of you want to take pictures of your food, which is weird to me still. I can, I can leave room for that. I hope the algorithm has, has pushed you out of my you know, little timeline thing. But for the most part, I, let's just do that. Can we stop posting politics for one minute, please? You think you're going to stir unity with that? No. 
Can we stop talking smack to one another? Stop criticizing each other. Stop reading comments on any website whatsoever. There is no sanctification on YouTube comments. There's none there. I've looked. The, I mean, it, it's in. It, 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 it's, it, it's in to Revelation. It's in there. Third chapter, I believe, verse 16. Stop getting your discipleship from the internet. Stop commenting on ridiculous posts. Stop posting ridiculous things. Private messaging, emails, text messages, public forums are not a place for discipleship. If sin must be confronted, let it not involve our phones. I, I, I've done this, and this is one of the challenging things about the church, is, is it slows the process down. We've had to confront some issues, and everyone wants to do this. I've told them that. And they, no, 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 no. I can't judge your tone. And I can tell what is a joke and what isn't a joke. But if we can sit down like adults and supposed to be like Christians, let's have a conversation. It may take longer. may involve eye contact. Who wants that? But it's better. It's better. It is much better. If sin must be confronted, let us do it eye to eye. Social media solves nothing. Text messaging may make the issue worse. Sit down face-to-face, have a conversation. Finally, hypocrisy. If you're a pot calling a kettle black, you're a hypocrite. Meekness and love are vital to confrontation. But so is personal holiness. Think about it. How hard is it to listen to a politician talk about corruption? How hard is it to listen to a lawyer talk about the truth? Or Facebook talk about privacy. How hard is it to hear these things? Why? The problem's the source. It's the source. If you had to confront someone in their sin, it's the problem, the source. This is why holiness is so important. It's not something you can just privatize. It is something for our good, for the good of others, and ultimately for the glory of God. You see, this entire passage is counterculture. Wouldn't you agree? Very counterculture. On the one hand, accountability is a dirty word. On the other hand, cancel culture is the law of the land that lacks grace. Have you noticed this? Do whatever you want, but we're going to destroy you if it's not what, you, if it's not what we want you to do. Have you noticed that? We're libertarian, but very legalistic all at the same time. This passage is, is, is very countercultural. Holiness is our goal. And when necessary, let us humbly receive and extend corruption with our eyes ever on Jesus. Because the issue is Jesus, isn't it? See, we're not talking about the law. We're talking about the Lord who put on flesh, became one of us, walked among us, was patient with us, and still died for us. And whether we are an unbeliever here this morning, in need of this sweet redemption, or maybe we are a believer here this morning, needed to be reminded of the hope we have in grace. What's the answer? The answer should always be, what is it we just say? Jesus pays it all. And that's the whole point here, isn't it? Sin takes us away from the cross. Holiness brings us right back to it. Isn't that what you want? Let's pray.